Good day, howdy, and welcome to Fleet Champions, where each week we chat to the people that have the stories, topics, and opinions on all things fleet. Real champions that keep the world's fleets moving. We look at the industry from every angle and through every lens. Operators, owners, drivers, enforcers, advocates, and more. But we're only asking the hard questions. I mean, not really. All of them are hard. Some are easy. From trucking to construction, parcel delivery to waste, and everything in between. We hear how they've built things, broken things, and some lessons they've learned along the way so that you don't have to. I'm Tim. I'm Trent. And this podcast is brought to you by Whip Around. Tim, how are we going today? Trent, if I was any better, I'd be dangerous, I have to say today. It's been one of those days and uh, a lot of good stuff has happened. That is great. You just got done with a move, a house move. House move, never a good day. Maybe that's why I'm so positive today because the house move was yesterday. I'm just glad that you're here today not doing that. So am I, sitting down, talking to you, and talking to someone who I think uh, is a pretty interesting character that everyone is going to enjoy, Jaron Ham. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we had the privilege to have a discussion with Jaron, former NFL player, uh, owner-operator of Pro Hall Logistics and Pro Hall TV, where he provides consulting for those wanting to get into the business, uh, the trucking industry. You can also find him on YouTube at Pro Hall tv as well it was such an interesting conversation i I think he's an example of where so many you have to be an entrepreneur to start your own business in anything but particularly in trucking with the the complexities and and the ducking and weaving you have to manage i think jaron is an example of where the smarter operators are heading they're multi-dimensional he's consulting he's learning his uh learning his craft and sharing it with others and, and it just shines through from the conversation that we had with him yeah, absolutely. It was fun to get into some topics about uh, driver shortage, the industry culture of trucking, the infrastructure in the U.S. of trucking, uh, some of the problems that they're facing, and also to hear what he would, would be changing today as far as regulations, talked about the clearinghouse a little bit. So a lot of interesting things that we were able to cover with Jaron. We talk to a bunch of people daily who are in the industry, but I have to say, walking out of this conversation, I will have learned a bunch about the absolute sort of nuts and bolts, the day-to-day operation that he talks about and and how you balance um, the rules and regulations, the finances, the risk, what you've got to have provisions for. Um, It's really interesting. So I I think everyone else is going to find it interesting too. For sure. Trucking does not sound like an easy job to get into or an easy business to start. But you know what they say, Tim? Nothing good ever came easy. Said like the true champion that you are, Trent. Should we kick into it? <laughs> Let's get into the conversation. Here we go. Ho, 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 ho. Merry Christmas. It's me, Trent. Not Santa. Yeah. It's the holiday season, and that means you are probably spending money on things like gas, food, and gifts. Lots of gifts. All while trying to save some of that precious cash. Everyone wants to save money, right? I mean, that's why there are millions of emails, billboards, and podcast advertisements that ask if you want to save money. Well, if you own or manage a fleet of vehicles, and you're relying on paper for your DVIRs and whiteboards and spreadsheets for your maintenance, we can save you money. Like, actually save you money. Whip Around takes your paper processes and makes them digital. 
We ensure inspections are being done accurately and maintenance does not get missed. It's saving us tens of thousands of dollars every single year. That's Ryan from Northwest Repossession talking about how Whiparound is helping save them money. You can go to whiparound.com right now to learn how we can help you save money this holiday season. That's whiparound.com. Today we have Jaron Ham with us. Um, Jaron, how's it going, man? Pretty good, man. Work day is just about wrapped up, so joining on with you guys and probably after this, go work on my golf game. It's not, not that good yet. Uh, I've got no golf game at all. I think coming coming from football, it's a it's competitive with myself. So okay. It's, it's pretty cool. It's like three or four of us, former college and uh, pro players. We try. Yeah, that's all I can say. I couldn't agree more on the golf sentiment there. I think the the idea of golf is what draws me back to the course uh, as infrequently as I play. Definitely not the performance of uh, my golfing around it. Right. Now, one good shot makes you feel like you could. I could get pretty good at this. Yeah, that's it, right? You're just shit all day, and then you get that one shot, and you're like, "Oh my god, I've got this in the bag." <laughs> that's yeah. how it is. So, Jaron, you are the owner of Pro Hall Logistics, and you also have Pro Hall TV. And now, is that just like a media outlet, or is that also um, your business where you coach, you know, entrepreneurs, people looking to get into trucking? Yeah. So it started off as just uh, my YouTube channel name, and uh, I wasn't really big on Instagram with it at the time. And so once I started posting more information and getting more questions. And someone's like, hey, you should get into, you know, mentoring and coaching. So then we kind of transitioned it. It wasn't an actual business at first. So then we formed it, uh, made a legal business entity. And now we do a lot of consulting work. Before we jump in to all the goods, um, we have a quick round of icebreaker questions, just super fast questions that will pop through and you just answer however your heart desires. All right. You ready? Cool. Yep. All right. So number one, pretty easy. Where were you born and raised and where do you live now? I was born in Sulzbach, Rosenberg, Germany. And then I was raised in Leesville, Louisiana, which is a super small town, but we were military. So Fort Polk is the military base there. And now I live in outside of Dallas in the Metroplex. Okay. What brought you to Dallas? Uh, funny story. We were in Ashburn, Virginia. I was playing with the Redskins and uh, there was a big snowstorm. Like I think it was the biggest one in 50 years. So cars were covered. People couldn't find them. And so the snow melted and uh, we were in there like, all right, we got to move. Like we need home. And I was in the league. So you bounce around from team to team sometimes. And so we Googled, you know, top 10 places to live in the U S and there's places like Utah and, and Wyoming. It was places I was like, I'm probably never even going to visit those places, uh, which changed in trucking. But Dallas was like, okay, my girl's from New Orleans. I was from Leesville, Louisiana. And so it was like, it's kind of close, but not too close. And so we yep. just picked up and moved to Dallas in like two weeks after Google searching top 10 wow. places to live. You you were like, we got to get out of here. Yeah, I never seen, I never been around snow at all growing up, but to see, or well, to not see your car in the parking lot where you parked it was a, it's like, all right, this is a little too serious. Six foot five guys. <laughs> up to their like waist it was deep yeah i would i mean i would be swallowed by the snow so i'm like i'm like five five so 
Tim, how and tall anyone, are you? About 6'2". Are you really? No, you're not. Yeah. Yeah. I've never met Tim in person. I've only ever, because really? he lives in New Zealand. Uh, and so That's I've been funny. talking to him on Zoom for like, I don't know, a year and a half. We haven't been able to get haircuts here for a wee while, and I think it throws people off because uh, I'm sort of growing this Afro-like mop on the top of my head. And uh, if you haven't met me in person, you might think that I'm kind of shorter, stumpier than uh, maybe, well, I'm not going to deny I'm probably short and stumpy after three months of lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, All right, we'll go on to question number two, which is, what is your favorite TV show? It could be like favorite of all time or your current favorite TV show. So right now, we really like watching 911. It's like about a LA fire department and police department. And then I'd say my favorites are from growing up still, like Martin, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I okay. got but got all the seasons. So even my, my seven-year-old, she loves Fresh Prince. That's amazing. What about, this is question number three, what's your favorite artist and or band? Artist right now, uh, he's newer. He's not new, but newer, Rod Wave. He's like a, what do they call it, melodic rapper. It's kind of like singing. And band, I don't, I don't even know many bands. I don't, not any that I listen to. Everybody's kind of single. Yeah, all good. Rod Wave. That's what you said? Yeah, Rod Wave. I've got him up right now. I'm going to check him on the short Spotify and too. He's short and stuffy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going to check him out for sure. Um, number four, what is your favorite drink? Drink, drink? Any drink. I, I, I like an alcoholic beverage. I like an old-fashioned for a good calm night. Mm. Uh, if I'm trying to party, I do Red Bull and vodka, which sometimes is frowned upon. That Vegas then, water. Yeah, and then uh, Gatorades for everything else, probably to recover for the first two. <laughs> <laughs> the follow-up to that is how many of those Red Bull vodkas and or the old fashions have you had in one sitting? Like, what's the most? <laughs> this is going to ruin my rep here. No. <laughs> Old fashioned, not too many. Red Bull and vodkas, oh, you lose count after three or four. Yeah, it turns into the night of just I have to have something in my hand. Yeah, but I got a little older, so now I try to get throw a couple water bottles in there. Yeah, you know, yeah. You, know, you keep down. the water in between, and then hopefully, as you get older, hopefully there's a part of you that is remembering or can still remember that you have to wake up tomorrow, and you're gonna feel like shit. Um, so it's like. Where do I stop? Do, or do you, or you get to the point where it's like, look, it's it's too far gone. It's gonna be a bad day. Uh, if I'm drinking like, like that, I know I know what's going on. Yeah, it's like golf. It's the idea of having those waters. I think at the start, but it never ends up that way. <laughs> right. It's like if I'm yep. spending my money, just get another <laughs> round for everybody. The last question is this: If you had to trade places with anybody, past, present. If you had to trade places with someone, who would it be? Uh, one person, probably Elon Musk, just so I could, if I could get his mind with that, with understanding. Oh, yeah. You get you get it all. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd go Elon Musk. I like the way that he, no matter how, whatever level, him and Bezos, whatever level they're on, they're looking to innovate a little mm. bit more. I don't know the dark side of all that, but from what they show us, it looks pretty interesting. 
So I, I guess, uh, you know, one thing I, I wanted to start here, a question that we do ask um, the people that are, that come on for a chat here is how did, how did you find your feet in fleet? And there's kind of two parts to this because you're a professional footballer um, and now you are in the trucking industry. So do you want to give us a, a bit of background of what you were doing in football and, and, you know, the amazing things you did there and what that transition was like? How did you point yourself in the direction of the trucking industry? Right. Yeah. So football actually wasn't uh, a goal or a dream. I didn't even know people went pro out of smaller colleges or universities. And so I went to Louisiana Monroe. Uh, I only started playing football because all my friends in junior high did, but I rode the bench up until like my junior, senior year. And so uh, we did camps in the summertime colleges have camps and I did really good at ULM or Louisiana Monroe's camp. And so they offered me a scholarship. I went and I didn't start until my junior year, but that year we had beat, uh, I think, number five ranked Arkansas. We went into overtime with uh, Auburn as another SEC school. Then we lost to Baylor by five, all within like the first five weeks of the season. So our quarterback was getting all this Heisman notoriety. Everybody who was playing you know, were getting NFL eyes on them. And so senior year came, I got injured, but still ended up getting picked up as an undrafted free agent. And uh, I was a wide receiver in college. Day one, the Saints turned me into a tight end, and it was the roughest thing I ever experienced. Like, I was about to quit football because how how hard it was to block, especially at being a small tight end who never, like, pushing cornerbacks around is different. And so uh, I was like, man, I don't know if this is for me, but I stuck with it. I was like, whatever, it's in the, you're in the NFL, so, you know, keep getting pushed around and getting a check. You know, but I ended up sticking in for five years. Um, one of those years was a broken leg, and that was kind of on the, the downside of things. And so that brings us into, like, that what's next type of mindset. And so football was coming to an end after that broken leg. Um, so my first two years were with the Redskins. Then third was with the 49ers. Fourth was broken leg but still getting paid by the 49ers. And then fifth. I started the trucking company because I, the 49ers released me. And, uh, well, I started a training business. I turned my garage into a gym. Somebody reported to the HOA. Then I started the <laughs> trucking company because someone was like, hey, you can make money in trucking. I had no experience in trucking. So that's all going on while I'm still trying to play in the league. And it's hot shot trucking with the dually and the, and the gooseneck trailers. And so I'm still trying to play in the league, but starting this trucking company. And then the Colts called me right when my MC number got active. And so I went to the Colts for the end of 2018 and uh, got out and kind of just went right into trucking. But I had no experience about trucking. Um, it's just when my gym failed, my garage gym failed. I was like, well, I'm going to go broke if I don't make any type of money. And every, every job was not paying enough to support my mortgage and like my bills, regular bills. And so uh, I seen Hot Shot. I was like, I could drive a dually. That was how I got into trucking. So you didn't even, uh, you kind of went into trucking and started your own business day one. It wasn't even going to work for a different carrier or company and learn the tricks of the trade and learn how to drive a, a, a truck to, to at least start with. It was, you're all in. You're starting a business day one and, and learning on the fly. Yeah. Yeah. Literally down to strapping my first load was like from, I tried on YouTube, but there weren't many videos, instruction videos. And so I, on Amazon, I bought a ratchet strap, 
and was trying to figure this thing out at home. I didn't have anything to hook it to. And so my first load, I was watching everybody else. Like, okay, how's that guy doing it? And it's not probably not the best way to start, but yeah, I jumped right in. <laughs> That's crazy. And so did you have to fund yourself into that? Did you buy a, buy a truck to kick that off? Were you leasing it? What, how did you sort of package up starting a business? Yeah, so uh, I lost a lot of money on that gym, and I wasn't like a main player in the league. I was a lot of practice squad, so you don't get paid a whole lot. So that loss on the gym was big for me. So that last little stretch I had, that last little cushion I had, I bought a trailer for 12000 cash, and then I financed uh, a dually from just a Ram dealership for, I think I put probably like eight or 10000 down. And then all of the other filings and insurances. So it was a grip. It was a, it definitely, I got to make this work or, you know, I didn't know what was going to come after that. And so how did you go out and find business? Uh, Looking at videos on like load boards, you know, figuring out what brokers paid well. And then even then the next step on like getting to direct shippers, but that was further down the line. But initially, I used low boards like uh, DAT and truckstop.com. And then when I would get in touch with those brokers, I would try to maintain relationships with the ones who paid well. Yeah, so it's it's a real hustle, I guess, um, getting out there and, and with the pressure that you talk about of financing yourself into something with that last bit of cash runway you've got after the gym, Um I imagine you're you're digging in for some pretty long hours or or doing whatever it takes to um to make ends meet. Yeah, yeah. So I would be gone. And we had a newborn at the time. So my first load was probably February like fifth or sixth of 2019. And my daughter was born February 15th. So I had a newborn, but all in on trucking. So I didn't really get to know her until I got off the road. I would be home for a couple of days, but in order for them to have a home, I would need to be gone for two or three weeks at a time. I wonder how many other people uh, turn to long haul trucking when they see a newborn pop into their world. Certainly crossed my mind. <laughs> it's yeah, probably not a bad it. idea. Huh? Yeah, no, it was, it was tough. I, I, I guess I uh, left my girl hanging, but she knew that's yeah. what we had to do. Yeah. How, how did she feel about that? And how did you feel being away from your first kid for like weeks at a time. Yeah. So, um, I felt bad leaving her like that. And so this is my, at this time, this is our second one. Our other one's like Mm. five. Okay. Okay. She's kind of, she's like in that energetic still can't really tell her and she doesn't grasp, you know, go sit down. And so I felt bad for leaving her with two kids, but, um, she, and she understood that's what we needed. That's what we had to do at the time. And so whenever I, whenever I teach, like or talk on my YouTube channel and and uh, Instagram, I try to emphasize to people like this is not NFL money. Like it wasn't easy. It was a grind and a struggle because it was a pressure, like you said, Tim, pressure situation where this had to work or we were going to have to go move with my mom and dad in Atlanta, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I, uh, I, I sympathize with you there with my first daughter was born at and at three weeks old I was on the plane to the US sort of in the early days of whip around and I was away pretty much for two weeks of every month for the first two years of her life so 
um, you know, I've got a, a, a big appreciation for my partner at home who probably felt the same way as yours did, uh, Jerron, in those early days. You kind of got to do what you got to do, but it's never easy. With all, I mean, I want to get into the consulting business you've got with Pro Hall TV and, and, you know, some really interesting things that you've kind of built around your career in the industry. But to start with, tell us about Pro Hall Logistics, you know, the pure kind of trucking side. Where have you got that business to? Where do you operate? What do you do? What does it look like? Yeah, so so coming from Hotshot, um, we did. We were instantly in flatbed doing the hotshot thing. There's not many enclosed trailers in in hotshot, so we're doing flatbed freight, and we acquired a couple of cheap trucks, cheap, cheap semis. And so this is the first level of growth. So that first year, probably 15 months, uh, it was just me rolling, and then started seeing like, okay, some trucks for twenty thousand, thinking they were good purchases, but once they started rolling, they started breaking down a lot. So they probably you know, we probably should have sprung a little bit more, but, um, we started rolling. And at that point we were doing power only with those, the semis, we didn't have any big flatbeds yet, but we ended up finding a, a guy who leases trailers out of Houston, uh, right around the time where we, where we uh, moved to our third semi, which was only probably a little over a year ago. And so we jumped up pretty fast. Um, but we do mostly flatbed freight pretty much all flatbed unless we're doing power only drive and freight. Uh, the things I like about flatbed are the, the timing, the times in it. It's pretty much, you know, seven o'clock, they're opening around seven, closing around five and your drivers can get in, get moving. And with me being so hands-on, they're parking when I'm going resting for the day. So everybody pretty much shutting it down versus driving in a reefer. You got 2 a.m. appointment times, three, four, five a.m. And you got to be available to your drivers if you're the one who's hands-on. Um, so we do a lot of shingles and, and building materials, bricks, stone, lumber, things like that. And I like it. We stick with it. Um, this time of the year, we're kind of going into what's called our slow season, uh, where the rates drop a little bit and capacity becomes a little bit, uh, a little bit less capacity for our trucks. But uh, we always get through that pretty, pretty smooth uh, when we're in hot shot. And last year when we added those semis. So how many trucks have you got now and how many drivers? So we've gotten up to 12. Uh, we got eight rolling right now. So two and then two are just part because of parts or part shortage. And so uh, we've never had all 12 running at one time. Though. That's one thing about semis. There's always something right when I would think we're about to get all 12, a driver would quit or a truck would break. It's like, okay, this must not be meant to be. And then we have eight, eight drivers, nine including myself, just in case something happens with one of them. But uh, yeah, they're all rolling pretty smooth. Tell us a bit about the parts shortage. Uh, we're hearing about it, we're reading about it, but how how is that impacting you on a on a daily basis? What does it mean? Uh, other than bringing on unnecessary anxiety behind trucks breaking, um, right now we're we're with those besides those two um, things are smooth, but. I, I wasn't aware of it until we had a truck in California, the water pump went out. And so I'm thinking, you know, we're going to get it to TA and uh, they'll order another part. And then the driver calls and he's like, hey, TA said there's none in California. There's none in Nevada. There's none in Utah, none in Arizona. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, apparently they're backlogged. So I called my mechanic here in Texas and he was like, yeah, they're hard to get. He, he had been searching in Mexico. 
And he was like, that's, that's the only place where I can even think we could get some from. And so, uh, we had a truck that got hit that was at his, at the mechanic in Texas's, uh, his garage. And so we had him take the water pump out of there and overnighted it to California. And that's the only way we got that truck moving. <laughs> then that truck couldn't get a water pump for a while. And the other one still ended up going out a little bit later. And so, yeah, <laughs> that's how, that's how I found out when realizing that, uh, you can't just get parts right now. And I'm assuming that that's sort of a flow-on effect from COVID, from all the supply chain issues that are happening globally, from a whole raft of factors that have kind of sprung out of nowhere in the last 18 months or so? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's what I've been getting. Same with truck prices and trailer availability, but everything is in a shortage. And so if you do find a water pump that could cost 500, it's probably marked up to 12, 1500 from people. Um, even the it's a place here with like wrecked trucks. And so sometimes they'll sell those parts, but they didn't have any. As soon as I called, he was like, you look for a water pump for a 15 to 17 Freightliner? I was like, yeah. He's like, we don't got them. Wow. So <laughs> golly, thanks. Even on the conversation of shortage, the conversation of a truck driver shortage has been around for a long time. You know, there was this article we were reading the other day and basically saying there's not a shortage of truck drivers. It's more of an issue with the industry, um, whether that's the culture in which, you know, this trucking company, you know, exists in and lives in. And it's they don't treat their drivers well. Their equipment is shitty. They don't upgrade things or it's, um, you know, the infrastructure of the U.S. in trucking. You know, they're driving for hours. Traffic's worse. There's no place to park. They spend the last, you know, three or four hours of their day looking for a parking spot. Things of that nature. Um, even lines at ports right now, which I don't, I don't think you deal with, maybe, but in general, are really backed up right now. So they're waiting hours to just pick up their load. You know, do you have any insight or takes on kind of the the driver culture right now? Yeah, yeah, I think it's a a mix of a lot of different things. Um, I think on the the regulation side, making it harder to get CDLs, which is going to go into effect on February 7th for some states. Um, the clearinghouse runs a lot of drivers away because now if you have a failed drug test at your last company, it's on a database. And so now your new company runs this query on you. It's so it shows you as a prohibited driver and you gotta go pay six to a thousand, six hundred to a thousand dollars and go through six weeks of uh, like AA meetings essentially to get that cleared off. And so some drivers will say, you know, I can work for you, but you can't run me through the clearinghouse or um, I can't do a pre-employment drug test. And so that clearinghouse took 50 to 60,000 drivers off the market. When we already were in an 80,000 uh, 80, driver shortage, so you got that on the regulatory side. ELD is one too, which I, I understand it, but kind of what you mentioned with the weights at the ports, that affects your clock. And these guys can be, you know, sleep for two hours waiting at the dock, but they still have to be on, on duty. And now that's running out their clock. Now they only get four hours to get it. You know, so those things run a lot of drivers away. Um, then on the port side, those long lines, yeah, whatever, they some blame it on the drivers, but then you got drivers saying we're here, but they're making it harder for us to get on the ports. 
And so you got that, needing a TWIC card, needing the SCAC code to get on their UIA certification. Then you get there and you're waiting hours. So people avoid it because you don't want to wait six hours to get loaded when you can go down the street and you know be there for two hours and get out. Yeah. And so it, yeah, it's a, and then when you say equipment, not being able to see what maintenance, what maintenances need to be done, um, the inspections, which is where you guys come in, which which has we were good with it, but this helped us be on a whole nother level. Uh, whip around implementing that into our company. And then uh, companies lying to drivers about what they're going to get when they start working for them. And then mm. switching up when they get them in the truck. That all combined with um, a phrase that's, you know, being thrown around at the moment, the great resignation, where I think the pandemic has kind of, particularly, I, I guess, younger people, it appears, millennials and, and whatnot, are, are leaving the corporate job with no real plan as to where they're going to go. And I guess the gig economy is kind of stepping in to, to solve some of those things. Um, paired with all the things that you just outlined of how it's harder to, particularly at that kind of CDL end of the industry, um, what are you doing within ProHaul to keep your drivers engaged and happy and and tips or, or advice for anyone out there that is struggling to keep drivers on the books? Yeah, well, I think ego plays a big part of, of uh, especially smaller companies. And like we mentioned, a lot of people get in with no experience. And so they're just coming in at the stance, I'm the boss and do what I say, right? But these drivers are technically, I wouldn't say they're the boss, but they're the one running the company because without the wheels moving, there's no money. So the boss is broke. Right, so you kind of have to create a team environment. And whether that means owner compromising and driver compromising, that's how you make things work. So driver may need a week off. Well, how do we how do we work to make sure that that's not too big of a loss or, or no loss at all? So I got drivers who will call me with the whole plan already mapped out. My, my drivers, they're kind of like owner ops. Like I tell them to figure stuff out. I'm not about to babysit you. Like you're a grown man, call the number on the paper, you know. And so uh, they'll call me with plans. Like, hey, I need to take a week off in December, but I was looking at the schedule. I can stay out for this weekend and this weekend when I was supposed to be home. And then that will allow me to, you know, I'm like, okay, cool, that works. And so our relationship being like that is is uh has allowed me to retain them. They they aren't forced dispatch, like you can't go home, like we don't do that. It's if you gotta get home, just know that we're gonna get you home but your check may be less than what you are expecting because we're getting home. So it's one or the other. Um, and we, we take losses on keeping our guys, keeping them fresh, right? So we want them fresh. We keep them out for months, two months at a time. Well, yeah, we get, get this good chunk of money in two months, but now we may have to spend two or three weeks trying to find another driver. And so the money is still being spent one way or another or being lost one way or another. But uh, you're the saying environment. You're saying because if if you're keeping them out that long, they're like, oh, this sucks. I'm not going to – like you'll lose drivers keeping them right. out, wearing them Driver out. Driver retention, yeah. It'll be tough. You keep them out two months and they come back. Like, All right, this guy said he'll keep me out two weeks. I may make $300, $400 less a week, but I get to see my family more, you know. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and even your comment before around um, flatbeds and, and the, the hours that you're working, how it sort of works better for you as a business owner, I guess that's a contributing factor. It, it takes a special kind of person to want to be out driving uh, you know, through the night, interstate, um, doing all that sort of stuff and leaving, leaving their family at home. Uh, are you finding that there's certain pockets within the industry that are kind of attracting drivers as the, as the Amazon effect and DSPs kind of getting people out of your, your CDL jobs and, and getting into more short haul P and D kind of businesses where they do get to go home at night. Is, is there a bit of movement around different layers of the industry? Yeah. Yeah. So that, and that goes to the CDLs, which you're mentioning. A lot of people get their CDL wanting to run local and go home every night or regional and, and go home every few nights. But there are a lot of people who enjoy being out on the road for one reason or another, probably to travel, or they may have a family in another state. I don't know. <laughs> that's none of my business. But <laughs> nah, that's, that's a, Their that's secret a, family. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Why are you always in Minnesota? <laughs> I don't know. I love this driver. He goes wherever. But, uh, yeah. You got a lot of people who do enjoy OTR hitting the road, but yes, people are getting their CDLs and wanting to run local and it's not easy to run local unless you have certain connects locally to, to get good money off of making it worth it, running your truck local locally. Cause you can easily get 10,000 from, South Carolina to California, but you're going to have to run so many loads in a week to get that running Texas only. And then your clock is going to run out. So then that's where the ELD comes into play, but so many factors in it. Do you find that there are people, your story is, is probably quite unique that you just went straight into trucking without any influence. Um, you know, from what I'm reading, it wasn't your dad wasn't a trucker. You didn't have your best friends as truckers. It was it was sort of a decision to just go and start your own business. Do you think some of these factors, where uh, carriers are making it harder, ELD, all of these things for drivers, um, the environment is not what people are wanting as a driver, as an employee. Do you think there's a shift to owner operators? Are people making that jump themselves now from being a driver, thinking, well, I want to be in control of my own destiny um i'm going to go and do this for my own or or is that a bridge too far for a lot of people given what you cover in the youtube channel the cost the budgeting the the provisioning the the complexity of of running your own business and freight uh and trucking are you seeing people want to work for themselves that complexity you mentioned is is the part that is the biggest hurdle for people but they do i get a lot of a lot of clients who want to start their own company. They've been working for Schneider or Swift and they're like, Hey, I, you know, I can make more money doing this myself. Um, so having, having mentors and coaches is important as, as long as you're teaching them the right thing. And so me coming from ground zero to not knowing anything and learning along the way, uh, I've made all the mistakes for you as you know, so when those people come to me, I made all these mistakes already. Um, uh, so I can help them on that side. But the business side is where you find the biggest gap in people coming from company drivers to, to owning their own company, like MC and everything. Because you can be an owner out for a company and still not know how to run your business. But um, when it comes to actually running business acumen and having processes in place, what's your system? That's where a lot of people only last two or three years 
and then they get put out because they come and do an audit and see like you haven't been operating safely at all. It's a good segue because um, you are sort of a bit of a unicorn from my experience. You're a trucker, uh, you run your own business, you've got a YouTube channel, you're a consultant, you've got all these different facets and, and clearly coming from a really entrepreneurial sort of viewpoint on the world. But is this is this something that's becoming more and more normal in the industry? I mean, are you seeing other people out there now that are either having to look at different channels to grow their business, using their experience to consult, showing people what they do every day on YouTube or Instagram and, and, and monetizing that in some sort of way? Are you unique in that or is it something that but given the challenges of the industry that we're going to see more of in the future these multi-dimensional kind of entrepreneurs that operate within trucking uh so i thought i was unique I, when i went from uh, youtube i put a book together i won't say wrote it because i just found the information and put it steps by steps but um i put that book together and at that time my instagram so i had like 100 followers but the book was selling off of youtube and someone was like, hey, why don't you just put a course together? And I was like, a course on trucking? I didn't know that was a thing. And so um, I started picking up my Instagram page and all these other trucking mentors and coaches started following me. And I was like, oh, there's a lot of us out here. And I didn't even know the name for it. I just like, yeah, I just talk to people for free when I'm on the road. Um, but yeah, I think trucking is becoming, because of social media, it's becoming a huge like uh, consulting niche and entrepreneurial entrance for a lot of people who you may not know how to start a tech company or you may not want a clothing brand you know some of those those main entrepreneurial businesses that people are having trucking is one where it's like oh, if i just follow these steps and have the money i can get into it but yeah there are a lot of coaches out there some good some not so good <laughs> we talked about the driver shortage the issues and that we're seeing in trucking today um you know, what is something from your opinion or some things that you think, um, you know, should change or that you would like to see different to whether that's allow more uh, people, you know, to get their CDL or, you know, we need more parking, we need this or that. Like, what is it? What is something that you would like to see different in the trucking industry? Yeah, I think um, I think some of the some of the regulations, like I think the ELD is one. I think there should be a better way of governing it because once you start that clock, even when you're not working, it's still going and taking up that day. And so you may get some hours back on the back end with your split sleeper birth and things like that. But uh, I think the ELD should probably be like a punishment for people who who are running, you know, running over hours or uh, something like that. It shouldn't be just the main thing. Cause there are a lot of people who roll for five and then they sit there, you know, four hours, they get rested up and they, they can roll another, you know, eight to 10 hours. Mm. But I, I do understand why they put it into place, but I think that the ELD holds back a lot of people from wanting to get into the trucking industry. So mm. um, let's not take it away, but find a different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, I, I guess that kind of talks to like the fact that, you know, there's people on our team, my my boss, our CEO, who can wake up at 3 a.m. and function, you know, for more hours than I feel like a normal human should be able to function. And off of less sleep, I cannot. If I get seven hours of sleep or, you know, 
a little less than that, I am cranky and like I feel off, you know, I'm like, God, I'm not functionally normal. So even to, to say it, that goes into, you know, regulations in general and life to say, this is for all people. Like everyone has to do this. It's like, well, everyone's a bit different. So that is an interesting idea. How many drivers would you say that, you know, you, you just like offhand that, that you have relationship with? Uh, personally, all of my drivers over the last couple of years. Um, so that's about, we've had a lot of drivers actually. So probably about 20 of my own. And then maybe like another 10 friends who I've met throughout the trucking industry or NFL guys who have gotten into trucking. And out of all of those people, is the ELD something that everyone, you know, kind of talks about and agrees on uh, with that, that statement of, I think it should be modified a bit? Yeah, yeah. Everybody dislikes the ELD. Because um, I got one driver, he just, he's like, I wake up at two and I'm up, you know, till seven, but my clock didn't reset till eight. It's like, now I'm tired from waiting, but I couldn't go back to sleep at two. He just wanted to get up and start rolling again. Um, and then... Sometimes with getting home and, and getting the certain pickups and deliveries, the ELD can kind of hinder you on getting to a place. For instance, in flatbed on the weekends, it shuts down usually. But if you have to wait for your clock to reset to finish a load on Friday, well, now you're getting there a little bit later. It's harder to get reloaded because you're running out of time. So that puts a lot of people stranded over the weekend, just waiting until Monday so they could get another load. Is there anything else, you know, in, in the trucking industry that you think should just be different, reformed a bit? Yeah, I think that the ELDT that's coming out on February 7th is uh, going to deter more people. It's, it's probably going to make getting the CDL more expensive because now there's a baseline requirement of, of what certain states uh, have to teach, like a curriculum, certain things they have to do. All right, so now if I'm a school that was doing quick CDLs, like where I went was five days training, and then you go get your CDL. Um, you go through the same permit process, but we worked on the truck for five days. I went, took the test, drove, had a CDL. Now they're making it to where states like Texas have a minimum curriculum. Um, and so prices can go up. That's gonna make it harder for people to get their CDL. It's gonna make it harder for trainers to train because right now I could go to my friend's truck, train, schedule an appointment and get a CDL. Now I got to go to a re uh, regulated school. Um, so that part, I think the clearinghouse, I, I get it because you want to prevent drugs while rolling, especially marijuana. That's one of the main ones. But then you got people living in a lot of states where it's legal. That one, I just see how it scares people away. I think the clearinghouse, having a regular drug testing program is different than now having this whole database where if your next employer looks you up, it just says prohibited completely. And so now they're making that, that, like I said, that took so many drivers out of the, out of the market, like 50 or 60,000 in an already short market. Um, but everything was fine before. I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, well, I do know why they did it so that you could see if you're hiring a driver that used to work for me and he failed a drug test, you can see that he failed and they don't let it be up to you though. If you're going to give them a chance, it's just no. And if you hire him, they're going to find you $12,000. What? Yeah, yeah, the clearinghouses. It's, uh, it's, it just uh, came in effect, 2020. Uh, wow. I, mm -hmm. I, I need to do a little more research on that. 2021 blows my mind. 
that that still is a failed drug test. We don't trust you to operate a vehicle responsibly. I guess just in the culture of alcohol where there's more instances of people drinking and driving, that's more of an issue. Alcohol is way worse for your body. It just and something like that now will follow you to where you can't even you can't even get hired. Imagine a, a weekend in Vegas or something where you're not on the road. You got they got an edible store, get an edible, and now you go get a drug test, and now you can't drive for however many weeks until you finish paying yeah. all this money and doing classes. To close out, Jaron. I guess, I mean, I've thoroughly enjoyed watching your YouTube channel uh, over the last wee while. I'm learning stuff every day. I think you're providing uh, real insights to, you know, the, the average person that wants to get into the trucking industry, really useful tips and tricks. And anyone listening to this that hasn't been on Pro Hall TV, look it up on YouTube because it, um, it's a great watch. And uh, I think you've got a real knack for uh, for presenting, for, for making it real. So, uh, massive props to you for that. But to, to boil all of that down into three tips for anyone listening that may be contemplating starting a trucking business, getting into the industry, uh, what are your top three tips or pieces of advice to them uh, before they start putting pen to paper? Yeah, uh, number one, I'd say check your funds. Don't don't go in without having some cushion because the trucks, especially if you're going semi, will will break, there will be issues, $1,000 issues that you have to take care of. So have some cushion if you're going to get in. Now, once you get in and have your, you decided you're going to start, you know, you get everything in order, have your system in place on how you're going to keep up with your numbers. So fuel costs, accounting, um, where you store and all of this information, you know, your rate cons, and then your annual, your annual uh, registrations, uh, your inspections, things like that, have your system in place, so that when you grow, it just becomes a, a duplicating process instead of trying to figure out, well, now I have five trucks. Now I need to get everything in order. Do it with one, make it a habit. Then it becomes easier to do it with the next few. Um, and then number three, I'd say a tip I'd give is hmm, don't think you're going to get rich off of one or two trucks. Don't get sold on that That marketing that's where a lot of that's why i say there's some good mentors and some bad a lot of mentors are selling you on making twenty five thousand dollars a month but if you go to pro hall tv and watch the numbers break down that quickly became seven to five thousand dollars a month after all expenses it's very very uh low profit margin if you aren't driving so uh, understand that it's a process to growth but you have to get your systems in order before the growing comes, or you're just going to be going broke blindly and probably out of compliance and you'll probably get shut down by deal. No, it's, it's a great point. Final bit to wrap up on that. What, how much cushion is cushion? What do you need in your bank account? Five would be a low end. I'd say 10 to 15, at least access to that. So line of credit, the credit cards or whatever you can have for any emergency. If this truck breaks, we had a, a rock crack a radiator in Ohio. And whatever all the issues that came with it ended up costing around $4,500, right? So if I got five saved up and I need a radiator and two tires, well, now I don't have it, all right? So five would be super low end. Uh, 10, 10 and 15 would be a more comfortable 
uh, comfortable. And that's after you buy the truck, get it checked out and get all that stuff fixed. That's going to probably be wrong with it. So, and what, so, so all in, you've got your cushion. What are your setup costs? What do I need in my account today? If I'm going to go start a trucking business. Yeah. So if you're going to finance a truck, uh, and you got different spectrums, hot shot versus semi. If you're going to go buy a hot shot, that's the same as just purchasing a regular vehicle. If you're going to go semi, they may want some years of CDL experience, right? And the down payment can probably be between five and 10 on both on either or. Um, so once you get your truck, your trailer, whether you lease or rent a trailer, everything is expensive right now. So semi truck, our semi trucks that were 35,000 or 70 now, we're not buying any semis right now unless we find great deals. Trailers that are 30,000 or about 50 right now are flatbeds. Um, wow. We rent those from a guy. I'm glad he hasn't raised the price on us yet, uh, but I'm expecting it. Um, so uh, truck trailer expenses, I'd say you have between 15 and 20 on financing them. If you're trying to purchase them cash, uh, well, you need to be up in the 80 to 100 range to get a, and that's going to probably be used for both of those. Yeah. Um, wow. Then your filings, now insurance is going to be about 20%, and that's going to be based off of about a twenty to $25,000 policy. So you're looking at around four to $5,000 down payment. Then your MC number is going to be $300. So we're at, let's say we're at 5,300. LLCs, probably 300. If you're using LegalZoom, you'll be at seven, 800. So we're at 61, 61 minus truck and trailer. Uh, then all the other little filings are not that expensive. UCR, it's about $69, $70. Uh, so outside of truck and trailer, I'd say probably about $7,000. If you're going to go flatbed, $8,500, because now you got to buy chains, binders, straps, all of that stuff. So seven to $8,500, plus whatever Certainly truck and trailer is going to cost. Yeah, it's a truck. So like $25K, just 30K. Yeah. 25, 30, so what, yeah. What I'm hearing is if you win the lottery, you can get into trucking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a, a big jump. And that's well, why right now trucks are not a great investment. Uh, because of how expensive they are. Yeah. And that's for 500,000 milers. So these trucks, 500,000 miles for 99,000, they should be 35, 40,000. Wow. Well, you've found a way to do all of this, make it work. Your business is running. Not only that, but you are um, coaching others. What before we as we wrap up, what is your ideal customer? Who should be coming to you for consulting? So uh, any person that's looking to start a company, right? Because that's the that's the basics. That's the course everybody sells. Starting is easy. So we definitely got you covered there. But then now, how to how to scale and run that company? That's where the real consulting comes in. Like I, I send people my book for thirty nine dollars that can start a company. But now, how we scale the company, how we track numbers, um, how we keep up with all the vital paperwork, that's another thing. So anybody who started their company and is just kind of lost in, in uh, it feels like too much. It feels like too much because you don't have anything in order. Uh, which we can fine tune. It's easy. You 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 have your paperwork from starting. So all we got to do is bring it together and put it in. Okay, this is what I need to focus on more than you know. I need to focus on registration once a year. I need to focus on our inspections and ELD every week. 
And so once you get those systems in place, uh, it can be a little bit smoother. Trucking is very stressful. And so anyone looking to get in the industry or anyone looking to fine tune their business process or anyone looking to invest in trucking from the investor standpoint, uh, that's that wouldn't necessarily be coaching. That's just more, here's what you need to do. And uh, the investor side is a bit different. It's more hands off, less profit, but you're not doing anything. So if you're interested in learning more or getting in touch with Jaron for consulting and coaching, ProHallTV.com is where you need to go. And we'll also put the links in the description below of this episode. Uh, Jaron, thank you so much for being here. This conversation has been incredible, very insightful. And uh, we look forward to the next time that we get to spend some time with you. Well, that was Jerron Ham. Um, very, very interesting conversation, and covered a lot there. Tim, I don't, I don't know if you got any, got any words to put. Maybe one or two words that you would say that conversation left you with. Cool dude. Yeah, he was. Uh, he's a cool dude. He's, he's, he's just motivating. You know, he's got into it. He's, he's a hustler. He's, he's made a real uh, name for himself. And I just love the way he's doing so many different things at once. Um, you know, he talks about um, building his business. He talks about building his, his consulting business. Um, he talks about, uh, you know, his NFL career. He's done a lot. And uh, I can just tell he's the sort of guy that, that's going to go really far. I thoroughly enjoyed hearing his story. Yeah. Something that all, that just stuck out to me was what he mentioned early on. Innovative, right? He, he said he would switch places with Elon Musk because he's always innovating. He's always thinking. And that's that's kind of what I got from Jaron is that he's someone who's looking ahead, who's innovating, who's thinking, you know, what's the next thing um, that, that I need to be prepared for? What's the next thing that I need to have, you know, kind of under my belt to, to make sure I'm set uh, and that my business is, is going to be taken care of, that my drivers are going to be taken care of, that sort of thing. And obviously that mindset is going to help you win and, and continue to grow and, you know, we'll just, we'll see what else Jerron gets himself into and where he goes. Absolutely. And hopefully he gets himself back into our podcast. I think his closing remarks when, when he was talking about what is required to start in the industry to set up a business, I feel there's another whole episode of this show on that, you know, carrying some of the the, the information he has on his YouTube channel um, into even a, a dedicated episode for people looking to not just set up, but people looking to scale their their operations, which uh, he's got a huge amount in. So hopefully, Jaron, uh, you can come back and join us in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, and if you're interested in something like that, if you want to hear more about what you know Jaron can offer, um, feel free to message us on social media, comment where you see this podcast listed, reach out to us, let us know what you want to hear more of from Jaron and from us. We'll see you soon. Thanks again for joining us on the Fleet Champions podcast. To learn more about Whipround, you can go to whipround.com right now. And of course, be sure to check out the description notes where we have any relevant links about our guests and also any sweet deals we have for you, our beloved podcast listeners.